He's called the Grey Cardinal, isn't he? What, why is that? Yeah, uh, Surkov is, uh, is the, the, an eminence Gris, the Grey Cardinal of, of the Kremlin, known by, by Russia watchers uh, uh, everywhere. Uh, he, is the, he came out of PR into the Kremlin administration and is the concept architect behind what's known as sovereign democracy. This was the ideological and political pillars around which Vladimir Putin built his early uh, administrations. Sovereign democracy uh, ex advocated values of pride, independence, and uh, what became known around the world, as I, I guess, as Vladimir, Vladimir Putin's don't lecture us stance uh, when it came to uh, democracies in transition, particularly young democracies, uh, such, such as Russia's. Some would say it put a veneer of democracy over what were Russian political traditions uh, and was, was a reasonably controversial uh, topic or a reasonably controversial policy uh, at the time and remains so. He uh, then uh, became Sorkov became better known for, for managing the PR around that. Uh, he was a, a, a very capable PR operator. And as everybody knows, uh, political PR in Russia uh, are particularly choppy waters and difficult to negotiate uh, at the best of times. Sorkov basically defined the parameters by which the, those kind of PR events and, and PR arguments would take place. He was an, a, a madman supremo, as it were, a madman supremo, should I say. Uh, and uh, because of his work uh, on the political PR, Side. The expression Surkovska yeah. propaganda entered the, the contemporary yeah. Russian lexicon. Okay, from St. Petersburg in Brooklyn. This is She's in Russia. I'm Lily. And I'm Smith. On a fine, blustery day, and my voice is quavering. Smith, welcome to the day. Thank you. Thank you. It's Grazie. very early. I oh. haven't slept at all. What? what do you mean? No, I'm just kidding. I slept, but not very much. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Thanks for doing um, this so early. And if I miss yeah. my class, that really sucks, because you did it for nothing. Yeah. Okay. So, what is today's episode about? Today's episode is about an article that was published a couple weeks ago. I think February 11th. 11th, yeah. But not just yeah. about the article. Well, no, but that's going to be the basis that's of it. the stimulus for it. The impetus. It's not only about the article, but there was an article written by Vladislav Yurevich Surkov, who we're going to introduce if you don't know who that is. Um, mm. And it was published on February 11th. So it's already kind of, you know, a little while ago. We've had time, everyone's had time to digest it. In this newspaper called Nizavisimaya Gazeta, or Independent Newspaper. Mm. I don't know. I don't want to spend too long uh, talking about, like, why that, ha that newspaper, but I think it's just, like, weird and okay, notable. Well, it doesn't, it's not weird and notable to anybody until they know who Sirkov is. Okay, well, I mean, he is currently um, the, like, aide or assistant to the president has been since 2013 uh and but he's served in the government he's like been part of the government since the 90s this Surkov character and yeah wasn't I think he was like uh forget what his exact title is but like chief of staff or chief strategist when Putin was prime minister also yeah he's been chief of yeah so 2012 2013 he was chief of staff um, he's been chairman. suckling at the Putin teeth for a good but, long time. But in the 90s, so he was, but he was in the government in the 90s. And he's also just like, so 
one of the things he's kind of known for is um, being like an ideologue of of the new Russian state, like the post-Soviet state. Um, and he has this kind of article, like he published this article in sort of a, I don't even know what to call it, like an essay format, like an op-ed format. I mean, it's an article, but it's just like, you know, just by him, free direct contact um, with the reader. And, you know, not an interview or something like that. And he's done that before. He's like, you know, periodically he publishes these sort of like manifesto-esque things in which he introduces new terms, new political terms, mm-hmm. which is what he does in this. And and side note, like uh, for the Western audience, if you have heard of him, like trigger your memory, he's he's often referred to as like puppet master. Um, Propaganda master or something. Yeah, um, ideologue was something that was used to describe him in the earlier years. We're going to get into like tracing the language used around him in the West, but um, he's he's the guy that people think have has been in charge of uh, creating the propaganda landscape in Russia, which is like which is I don't know I I wouldn't necessarily say I think propaganda. So my overall take on that is that I think the word propaganda maybe diminishes the kind of work that he does the kind of work that he does is more like political theory and like strategy and stuff but thinking up and you know explaining terms whether they you know regardless of the their uh factual or mythical basis and or the mix of that and this so okay so he's had plenty of sort of like higher up roles but a lot of them um i mean the most recent one is this like sort of assistant aid to the president so it's just like a very close consultant type figure and Serkov also just also is known for being one of the kind of ideologists and founders of the united russia party which is putin's party and um also really big in creating a political the political youth movement maybe more than one but the one i know about is nashi which is like means ours which was like you know a youth movement with the sort of values of United Russia, as far as I understand it. And then he also, like, said of himself that he was, quote, among those who helped President Yeltsin carry out a peaceful transition of power and among those who helped President Putin stabilize the political system. It's a quote from 2011. So he's positioning himself kind of as, like, a, you know, a master chess player in a very large-scale strategy of building the russian political system since the fall of the soviet union yeah do you want to talk about uh sovereign democracy now or at a different point well yeah i mean we could talk about it now because basically i don't know how much people care about it in in russian media but they care about that phrase in well it is important no no it's really important i mean it's like so he, he he has all these sort of roles, and we're talking about him as a figure, he has all these roles as like the founder, the creator, the author of all these different things, whether they're organizations or ideas or terms. And one of the ideas that he is uh, sort of like cited as, what's the word? Attributed, one of the ideas that's attributed to him directly, I mean, um, is that he's the author of this, this, this like concept of sovereign democracy. That's not actually, I mean, he's not the author of the concept of sovereign democracy, like historically, obviously, because that's a concept that's been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. It's something that Rousseau used that language to talk about the democracy belonging to people. Um, sovereign, demo- sovereign, right, being like belonging, power, uh, power holding or something, right? 
sovereign? Um, I thought it just meant like it's independent from uh, right other countries, like other states. No, but it's in general, like sovereign controlled means, state. Yeah, no, I understand. Yeah. Possessing possessing supreme or ultimate power. So sometimes like so when you hear the phrase sovereign democracy, like in the way Rousseau used it, it could mean the people possessing the supreme power. Because democracy. Um, Wait, are you you're sure that term was used before? I mean, not exactly sovereign democracy, but in the nineteenth century, the United States Democratic Party I read on Wikipedia was called the Sovereign Demo- Democracy Party. Okay. And that that term was also thrown around a lot in the 19th century in England. Oh, I'm sorry, not in England, just in English to refer to democracy in general. So it's like it has a historical, has a history separate from the the use in Russia. But the use in Russia has a really specific meaning, and it's and it's from Surkov's like Surkov explained it and defined it. And that meaning is what you just said, like basically this concept that um, a sovereign democracy is one that's not not like modeled off of other governments or nation states or like not obligated to follow along with the will of, of global power centers in which they mean like the, like West. the West, um, the like West. America, mainly, 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 mostly, mostly. <laughs> whereas states like in Central and Eastern Europe and other former USS, former USSR states sort of are obligated to play along with the will of NATO uh, or, you know, like, it doesn't say NATO specifically, but that's that's the idea. Yeah, who knows what the state of NATO was at the time that he gave that speech. Yeah, so he so he sort of birthed, or, like, coined, rather, the term, I guess, thought it up in 2005 and six. But then, actually, I think it was first public... I believe it was first publicly used by a different political scientist, in, like, in an article. Um, but then later, like, he... It was attributed to him... And I have a quote for how he defined it himself, which is the image of the political life of a society in which the authorities, their organs and actions are chosen, formed and directed exclusively by the Russian nation in all its diversity and integrity. Blah, blah. So, I mean, in a way, it's just sounds like... It means nothing. (laughs) In a way, it means like, you know, we have a democratic system, but we are building it according to our own terms. So managed democracy is a term that he also sort of coined to... No, managed democracy existed existed before him. Okay, well, he used it then to contrast to sovereign democracy. It's like managed democracy is basically the concept that, like how the U.S. can go into another state and institute uh, either aspects of or like an entire set of systems that are democratic or like can democratize a government but that it's imposed and um, modeled off of the american or western model so right but it's it's not necessary it doesn't necessarily need to be imperialist like you can have smaller forms of managed democracy like on a local level if if the like federal government is controlling what happens on a local level that's an example of managed democracy Okay, but in so the way Sarkov used it was to co- like to contrast with sovereign democracy to be like okay. this is it, as opposed to having this democracy that's exported and then like redistributed and repeated, you have like a more independent. And I also think it I just mean it's kind of means like it, go, ahead. go ahead, no, you go ahead. It, it, it's I mean my sense of it is that he he took managed democracy, adapted it for a Russian context, and then called it sovereign democracy. 
I mean, because so, sovereign democracy, like I, I get it. It's in the context of of like the U.S. meddling in in the, the Yeltsin election and everything. Like he's saying, okay, you know, America, you can't meddle anymore because we're sovereign. But what it actually means is it has much larger implications for the internal goings on of the country than it does for like how permeable the country is from the outside. It's sort of hard to say in like the language he uses what exactly that means. And that's why it's, it was discussed like heavily. I mean, in Russia, in the government uh, for a long time and that like around that time, mid two thousands and still is referred to because it's like, exclusive like what does that mean what does it mean to have a particular type of democracy for russia and that's kind of like what uh at least he touches on that a lot in the in the article he wrote another thing just in terms of his role uh is that he is it's not an official role or there aren't like official sources that say this but apparently he's the um he's been tasked with dealing with like russian ukrainian relations in the sense of like in the broad sense of um like making sure everything goes to plan in eastern ukraine obviously that couldn't be official because for a long time it wasn't official that russia was russian military was involved in eastern ukraine but you know like orchestrating all that involvement yeah so I don't wait. Uh, I can't remember if you said like, is this puppeteer language used in Russia to describe him or not really? I wasn't. I didn't like see it in any particular place except for okay. this one quote from that you pointed me to from uh, Mikhail. Prokhorov. Okay, L- let's. Um, uh, I'll prompt you later. Okay, so I wanted to start in 2016 because this was the first time that I heard of Surkov. And it definitely represents a particular type of sentiment about about Surkov in in the West. So I'm gonna send this to you. Oh, sick! Hypernorm. But in Russia, there was a group of men who had seen how this very lack of belief in politics and dark uncertainty about the future could work to their advantage. What they had done was turn politics into a strange theater where nobody knew what was true or what was fake any longer. They were called political technologists, and they were the key figures behind President Putin. They had kept him in power, unchallenged, for 15 years. Some of them had been dissidents back in the 1970s, and had been powerfully influenced by the science fiction writings of the Strugatsky brothers. 20 years later, when Russia fell apart after the end of communism, they rose up and took control of the media. And they used it to manipulate the electorate on a vast scale. For them, reality was just something that could be manipulated and shaped into anything you wanted it to be. But then a technologist emerged who went much further. And his ideas would become central to Putin's grip on power. He was called Vladislav Surkov. Surkov came originally from the theatre world, and those who have studied his career say that what he did was take avant-garde ideas from the theatre and bring them into the heart of politics. Surkov's aim was not just to manipulate people, but to go deeper and play with and undermine their very perception of the world, so they are never sure what is really happening. 
Sarkov turned Russian politics into a bewildering, constantly changing piece of theatre. He used Kremlin money to sponsor all kinds of groups, from mass anti-fascist youth organisations to the very opposite, neo-Nazi skinheads. And liberal human rights groups who then attacked the government. Surkov even backed whole political parties that were opposed to President Putin. But the key thing was that Surkov then let it be known that this was what he was doing, which meant that no one was sure what was real or what was fake in modern Russia. As one journalist put it, it's a strategy of power that keeps any opposition constantly confused, a ceaseless shape-shifting that is unstoppable because it is indefinable. Meanwhile, real power was elsewhere, hidden away behind the stage, exercised without anyone seeing it. Okay, so that is Adam Curtis in the 2016 documentary Hypernormalization. He references, as one journalist put, and I'm going to get to that. I'm not going to tell you yet who the journalist is, but that pretty much whole um, uh, characterization of Surkov is lifted from this particular journalist. Uh-huh. But before we get to the journalist who is responsible for defining that uh, character of Surkov in the West, I want to go back a little bit and just trace how American media or Western media changed the way they talked, to Sur- talked about Surkov over time. So I, I want to... Um, caveat this a little bit here because I went back as far as I could on the internet but I think that presumably there was talk about Surkov like in the papers before everything was so like completely on the internet um Mm -hmm. so I'm probably missing stuff that happened you know in the in the like 2006 era in the west you mean yeah in the in the west yeah so the the first instance I could find of him being written about was in a Washington Post article in 2006. And it was right around that time that he had defined sovereign democracy. And this is just a small quote about him. One of the most influential Kremlin aides, Vladislav Surkov, met with the G8 summit. Surkov meets with the press and explains what sovereign democracy means. Sovereign democracy is not much different from democratic practices of the Western countries. Sovereign democracy is a Kremlin coinage that conveys two messages. First, that Russia's regime is democratic, and second, that this claim claim must be accepted, period. Any attempt at verification will be will be regarded as unfriendly and as meddling in Russia's domestic affairs. RFERL. How do we want to? RFERL. What? Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty. Oh, God. It was was talking about him in 2009, referencing things like managed democracy. Uh, They call him the godfather of Russia's sovereign democracy in 2009. Just a journalist Uh, calls him that. Yeah. Yeah. In referral, yeah. Uh-huh. The the articles during these times are focusing focusing really on Surkov's role in democracy. So very much focused on like his ideology and his founding of of Russian democracy, as it were. And in in particular, they're focusing on uh, the Sochi mayoral election in two thousand nine, which was between Boris Nemtsov and the United Russia candidate, who was this guy Anatoly Pokhomov. I don't know. 
quote from the article, Kremlin domestic politics overseer Vladislav Surkov has been holding seminars among United Russia officials with the goal of teaching them how to speak in public. So far, though, this effort has borne no fruit, and Surkov is almost certainly smart enough to realize quickly that it is a hopeless task. And then Nemtsov, who is what, Lily? Dead. Dead, yes. <laughs> Um, he has risen <laughs> he has risen so speaking uh to the journalist of this article uh, attributed uh <laughs> that was the most ridiculous thing. who is who is fill it in folks <laughs> dead um d-a-d you know like these things the 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 article was speculating on why the kremlin let nemsov run in this mayoral election in the first place because i think he won like 14 percent, and it was like oh nemsov attributed that decision to the fact that there was quote no agreement between Vladimir Putin and Dmitry Medvedev on how to handle the Sochi election. And the article like editorializes and says that would imply that Medvedev overruled Putin, which seems like a stretch and it's much more likely that it was Surkov's decision. So the focus of him, he's not yet this like Svengali puppet master. He's just like a strategist that has some sort of quote ideology, um, about like controlled democracy, sovereign democracy, managed democracy, whatever iteration of that you want to talk about. Mm-hmm. In 2009, later, later in 2009, maybe you came across this, Surkov publishes a novel under a pseudonym. He does this a fair amount, like he'll write short stories, fiction stuff under a pseudonym. And he writes a book called Almost Zero. And that gets picked up a little bit in, in Western media. So uh, here's a here's a description of of the novel in The Telegraph in 2009. Uh, in the novel, which advertised itself as gangsta fiction, the main character, Yegor Samakodov, some, I don't know, something like that, orders a poet to write verse in the name of the regional governor to make the official look clever and win an award. Uh, Mr. Samakodov, a publisher who does a sideline in political public relations, then tries to bribe a female journalist at an opposition newspaper to correct stories about damage to children's health from a toxic chemical factory owned by the governor's relative. And in this article, they refer to Surkov as a shadowy figure. So he definitely has this air of mystery. Um, things are coalescing. But an interesting thing is that in two 2009 this was uh, a prime reset time reset reset we're all gonna be great friends um they as part of this they created the u.s russia bilateral presidential commission civil society working group Um, which he was with um mr and fall right it was co-chaired so on the american side it was it was Michael McFall, and it was apparently his idea to do this whole thing. And on the Russian side, it was Surkov. This is interesting to me now because now this like seems so impossible that this could have existed, uh, given Surkov's reputation in the West. So around this time, apparently 60 different reports between 60 and 70 Republican Congress people wrote a letter to Obama asking to put the working group on hold until Surkov was, was removed as chair because, quote, he is one of the masterminds behind Russia's authoritarian course. So the focus here is still very much on like failure to have true democracy. Side note in this Apparently, in this me- this first meeting they had uh, on January 27th uh, in 2010, they talked about anti-American stereotypes in Russia and anti-Russian stereotypes in America and talked about how it was a big problem. But then I guess they forgot about that quickly. <laughs> Actually, it's fine. So 2011 is a key year. Because if we remember, 
Adam Curtis refers to a journalist. And this journalist is a man by the name of Peter Pomerantsev. Um, he was born in Ukraine in during the Soviet Union, but he moved as a one-year-old to London. So he To London. He, to London, yeah. So I think first to Germany and then to London. But, you know, his parents are Soviet. He's a Brit. And he wrote this article in the London Review of Books in which he basically lays out what Adam Curtis says in, in the movie. Quote, in contemporary Russia, unlike the old USSR or present-day North Korea, the stage is constantly changing. The country is a dictatorship in the morning, a democracy at lunch, an oligarchy by supper time. While backstage, oil companies are expropriated, journalists killed, billions siphoned away. Surkov is at the center of the show, sponsoring national skinheads one moment, backing human rights groups the next. It's a strategy of power based on keeping any opposition there may be constantly confused a ceaseless shape-shifting that is unstoppable because it is indefinable uh he also uses the phrase circovian a lot which i wasn't able to find in any other thing so i think he starts to really like talk push. about this like movement that yeah like so push circov is like this defining character of mm-hmm. some sort of history mm-hmm. um Oh, this is a funny tidbit. So he tells this anecdote about how he went to see a play version in Moscow of Surkov's book, Almost Zero. And guess who directed it? Surkov. No. Who's like the... Serebrnikov. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. It's really ridiculous. Amazing. Um, and in this article, he also quotes his friend who says, have you noticed that Surkov never seems to get older? His face has no wrinkles. So this comes out in 2011. Yeah, maybe, or maybe he just is, like, young looking. This comes out in 2011, and then when I was, I was just, like, getting all the articles that were going to be relevant and, like, ordering them by time so I could try to trace this this language throughout it. So the next few articles, I just had them pulled up, um, one's from The Atlantic and one's from The New York Times, and they're basically, these are in 2014, so three years after this original article was written, written by the same guy, and they're... Basically, just like re, I want to say refactors, but like re Wait, written by or the same journalist? Mm-hmm. This Peter guy. Peter. Peter. Uh, <laughs> they're essentially the first article like redone for these two different. And I was like, what the fuck? Why is he like writing the same article over and over again? And it's because he had a book coming out in 2015 on this topic. Mm-hmm. He profiles, this is another thing I'm like, like, wow, this couldn't happen. He profiles uh, in 2013, Surkov giving a speech at the London School of Economics. So, quote, this is a quote of Surkov. My portfolio at the Kremlin and in government has included ideology, media, political parties, religion, modernization, innovation, foreign relations, and, here he pauses and smiles, modern art. He offers to not make a speech, instead welcoming the PhD students, professors, journalists, and politicians gathered in an auditorium at the London School of Economics to pose questions and have an open discussion. After the first question, he talks for almost 45 minutes, leaving Mm -hmm. hardly any time for questions after all. So I was reading, I read these, in, and you know when we were reading the uh, Jewish book by Masha Gessen, the, where the Jews aren't? And, these are by, oh yeah, where the Jews yeah. aren't. Uh, and, and you were just saying like, yeah, it's hard with her because sometimes she'll take a really complex thing and present it simply, and you're like, oh, I understand now, and you just like run away with that, but it right. might not be super accurate. I was starting to get this, this feeling from this guy. And from Adam Curtis. <laughs> well, and from Adam Curtis, but yeah. It kind of made me think like, oh, Adam Curtis is a little bit full of shit, but I guess I kind of knew that before. 
so yeah, he he writes all these op eds in two, 2014, and I just was like, okay, who is this guy? Because I've never heard of him before, um, and it just it this seems journalist. a little bit this journalist. Yeah, I've never mm-hmm. heard of him before, and it like seems a little suspect. So I went on his Wikipedia, and in his Wikipedia, it said Mark Ames criticized him, and I was like, okay, this is great. So I went. This is in 2015. I went and read the article uh, Mark Ames wrote about him, and. The, the argument that Mark Ames makes is that this guy is a neocon, like, disguised as some sort of, like, Brooklyn hipster liberal type, um, primarily because he's done a lot of lobbying in British and American governments to increase, quote, democracy in Russia. So things like sanctioning, things like funding, uh, like, pro-democracy NGOs. Mm-hmm while he was part of this think tank that was owned by these like very shady billionaires who whose Russian? business model no uh, i think they're new zealand whose business model is to go into like uh, depleted markets buy a bunch of shit then drive up the price of the whatever share whatever thing they've bought um by creating a conversation in which democracy seems to be like a viable outcome so like where people are like oh this is going to be a democratic capitalistic society so driving up the price of the shares and then selling them and a particular example of this i think this actually did not turn out well for them but remember when we were talking to mark bullen about the vouchers in the in like the early 90s uh in russia yeah people get like vouchers as yeah, parts yeah. of shares i knew and that yeah, we yeah. didn't talk to only bullen about that okay well i don't know if we've talked to, to anybody else about it on the podcast we talked about that with like polia's mom had told me about that remember oh uh, okay so yeah this these guys these their brothers that like ran the stink tank were one of those predatory people that like bought up a bunch of vouchers in the 90s oh we talked to bullen about the corruption around the vouchers yeah. yes yeah. yes oh my god yeah holy so, shit uh yeah wow and what it, a shit show i know and so abes has a particular quote he really goes in he like details like who this person is because he's fair he's like you know i read this guy's book and some of his ideas are good um but i have uh, there's a particular quote i like so he Ames is quoting the book. Mm -hmm. For if one part of the system is all about wild performance, another is about slow patient co-optation. Co-op. I don't actually know what that word is. And the Kremlin has been co-opting. I guess. Yeah, it's weird. Has been co-opting. And the Kremlin has been co-opting the West for years. The Kremlin is the great corporate rider inside globalization, convinced that it can see through all of the old ways of the slow West to play at something more subversive, the 21st century's geopolitical avant-garde in quote of the book within Ames's article. Uh-huh. Uh, this was the point in Pomerantsev's book where I threw it against the wall because I really don't like being played like this. And I decided to finally find out who Pomerantsev works for and why the hell he went through so much trouble to say something so crude and stupid. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think like that, those like two things, like this guy writes all these op-eds where he paints Surkov in this very particular light. And then in the West, you start to see it reiterated through things like hypernormalization. And it just kind of uh, solidifies that image of him in the West. That's, I think, where it comes from. And then, oh, and then two, two more things like between 20, between when hypernormalization comes out and now, so like the past three years, 
you know, articles are written about like, is Trump doing what Surkov did in, in Russia? Like, oh here's how they did it. And it quotes this Peter guy like really heavily. Um, and oh, then, of wow. course, in 2019, uh, he's included on foreign policies list of global thinkers under the defense and security th- section. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So that's also, yeah, being mentioned now. Okay. When people are like rev- like talking about his articles, like after being named in this thing <laughs> as like one of these influential people of 2018, he wrote this article. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Whenever, like I remember, yeah, I remember watching Curtis and also being like, who is this mastermind? Yeah, I know, <laughs> this shadowy mastermind. <laughs> when people talk about Surkov, it's like always like this really glaring thing for me about like, again, this sort of, I think it's kind of more and more I'm convinced that it's a myth that like Russian and Soviet um, kind of like machinations are like more powerful than, for example, American political strategy and that like, or like more intricate or more mysterious or whatever. And it's similar with like this concept of Putin being this like, uh, you know, world, world controlling villain character. I mean, in terms of how people reference Serkov, I definitely saw a lot of references to him as being very smart. Yeah. And people refer to him as being like, I like, I mean, I, I don't know. I, the one puppeteer quote oh, is yeah. from one person. Did you want to talk yeah, about yeah. that? Yeah. The, the reason I asked you about that is because in that, uh, London review of books essay, um, the, the, that journalist references, like says Surkov, also known as quote puppet master who privatized the Russian political system, and that's that's quoted in the article, but he doesn't say who said that, and I couldn't find it anywhere in English, so I was just wondering where it came from. Mm, okay, well, it's from yeah, 2011. It's from um, this yeah, like politician billionaire guy Mikhail Prokhorov, who was the chairman of a political party, Right Cause, Right. Um, and Scary. yeah, and he said Serkov was quote, or he said, there's a puppeteer in the country who has privatized the political system for a long time, misinformed the country's leadership, um, about what is happening in the political system, puts pressure on the media, arranges people and tries to manipulate citizens in their opinion. His name is Vladislav Yurevich Serkov. Okay. So maybe that's the, that's what Prokhorov said. Yeah. That's like the maybe origination of this idea in some way in terms of answering the question is he actually you know this like mastermind puppeteer behind all of these really huge political strategical shifts and stuff or is that like just a, is that all based on that one <laughs> in the west but yeah the concept of him being very much involved is is true it's funny though that it's i think it was from the curtis yeah a quote when he talked about something being that's being hidden like the real the real power um, power is hidden right yeah and it's really funny because it's like a direct it directly bridges into uh Sarkov's article enlighten us so in what sense does it bridge basically is that first of all it's really easy to and like a really basic concept I think to be able to say something like but the real power is hidden, right? And people love doing that yeah. in, in any political realm. One of the main arguments of Serkov's most recent article was that in Russia, that's like very much not the case, that politics are very much, or power is very much um, visible and like on the surface and not hidden behind something. But let me, let me get into that because 
this is all based on this term that he, again, he didn't coin it, but he's like introducing right now in, on a sort of more high politics level in this article. Okay, which is the concept of the deep state. Have you heard that concept? Yeah, it's really big in the U.S. Okay, so it's really big in the U.S., right, and he references that, and it's really big in the U.S., and it's from Turkey, as far as I understand, mm. and then was, like, translated into English, and then was translated into Russian, and... How do you say it in Russian? Глубокое uh, государство. Okay. Overall, what's happening in this article, overall, he's taking on the task of describing the political system under Putin. That's what the point of the article is, and kind of to theorize around it. So it's titled, The Long Government of Putin, about what's happening, about what's happening here. And there's like a couple of main moves that he makes. So in addition to this term of the deep state, which I'll get into, one of the biggest things he does is say like, we, there's a specific and new type of government hap- like being formed in Russia right now under Putin as different from what's been previously and that is like better obviously that it's something that is just like getting started like it's full the full power of this political system this government system has yet to be seen and that it will exist long after Putin is no longer to do this he like breaks down all the past models of Russian government into four phases and very explicitly like there's nothing I don't know he's he's not he's like very unapologetically puts Putin in a list with Ivan III during the 15th and 17th centuries Peter the Great who's like represents the Russian Empire Lenin who represents the Soviet Union and Putin who represents the Russian Federation beginning in the 21st century bold thing to do now that I kind of know a little bit about his sovereign democracy concept, it feels like this definitely doesn't contradict it. And if anything, this thesis builds on it, which is that there's this new government type that's forming. And then it's also that one thing he does, though, here is that he kind of like rejects democracy. So he is basically the first part of the article. He's like talking about this this concept that like choice there's just an choice is just an illusion he positions it like in comparison to what's happening in the west so he says like the concept of choice being illusion is like the most important concept in the western way of life it's the definition of like western democracy and what russia has done what he calls organically grown government that's been developed since the mid-2000s is to reject this illusion in favor of more realism so that's like just a way of saying that we're not even trying to look like we're being democratic because that's a fallacy which is like something set up yeah like because anyone doing that is it's like a lost cause anyway so cynical mr shirkov yeah and and this concept that like russians have since the mid-2000s been discussing this concept of not importing these illusionary democratic systems, but about discussing what is, what kind of democracy do we want and should democracy exist at all? Like, you know, calling into question, right? Mm-hmm. Wow, revolutionary. That to me is like the sovereign democracy concept that he just summarized. He just doesn't use that term here. He says like what Russia is doing now is returning to its 
this is a quote, natural and the only possible state of the great increasing community of nations that like gathers together lands. <laughs> it's a really intense sentence. What, I'd say that again. It's the natural state, the only possible state of being a great increasing and constantly gathering lands community of nations. Those are all like ways of describing the community of nations. Okay. I don't know what to call, I mean like an imperialistic, like expansionary view and this concept that Russia's returning to that now after falling from the, from the Soviet Union falling apart and people being, you know, like on the world stage, people being like, like, like the Russian sort of era is over as a world mm -hmm. power. Okay. And he's like, no, no, no. First of all, he also says like Russia fell instead of saying like uh, the, Soviet Union. the Soviet Union fell apart. He refers to like Russian falling apart. So it's, it's like he's saying like other countries gain power through like capitalism. And he's saying like, no, no, Russia's way of gaining power is to get more land. Yeah, I mean, kind of, because he doesn't exactly say like, like he doesn't explicitly say like we need to take other countries, but using this language of like gathering lands of expanding yeah. and I mean, increasing what else it's could like that mean it does mean that but it's in like a really epic and like poetic way language it's just like and it sounds really like exciting yeah like manifest destiny for Russia. yeah manifest destiny kind of um okay so there's that state but then it's still like okay but what's the structure that you say is happening right now that you're like so happy about this like new putin <laughs> putin structure um and this is where we get into deep state. He also sets up the concept of like what I said, Putin's system will exist beyond Putin. And in fact, like is sort of maybe Putin wouldn't agree with the concept as it is now being associated with like his individual person. But it's like this the political machine that he sort of like brought into being, according to Sirkov. And that it's an ideology that he says is like for the future and that, or not an ideology, a political system that's for the future and that will eventually also be exported in whole or in part to other countries. And then he also talks about how other countries currently are like looking to Russia now as like a, not as a model or just like an interesting thing to watch because they've become disappointed in the in the illusionary democracy Who of is? the West. <laughs> who, does he give an example? Uh, not, no, not a concrete example of who's looking at, he's, but like he's people in like, the West. But, okay. Yeah. But he's he saying, also said, he's saying like the public, the Western public, or he's saying like Western government officials? I think he mean, more means the public when he talks about be people being disappointed. Um, but he says, he says like people in governments all over the world, in like, people in government and in opposition. He's like, people from all sides and all positions all over the world like are, are you know, looking and will look are to this excited about the Russian model. <laughs> yeah. I mean, then again, so he's okay, obviously he's aware of like the current sort of like Western position to Russia, which is that Russia as the interfere, right? Russia as like the government trying to mess with the geopolitical situation by meddling in people's elections, et cetera, et cetera. And then he says this really amazing, I highlighted some of the most amazing quotes, but here's one of them. Foreign politicians credit Russia with interference in elections and referendums across the globe. In fact, it is even more serious. 
Russia intervenes in their brain, and they do not know what to do with their own change consciousness. Dun, dun, dun. So, <laughs> um, and this is about this is where he's he transitions into this concept of again like a way of explaining sovereign democracy without him necessarily he never uses the term sovereign democracy he does use the term sovereign in this essay but he doesn't use the term sovereign democracy but here's a, another way of doing it is like this ideological influence intervening in their brains this is where he says like we stopped starting in the 90s we stopped like taking on these uh, taking on ideological imports from outside and have been creating we the i don't know Russian political system, creating our own meaning and entering into an informational counterattack on the West. Mm. Um, great. So, I mean, like, he speaks in really epic, sweeping language, so, you know, at least he probably thinks he's, like, as important as yeah. that journalist thinks he is. <laughs> so he's, he's going through these, like, different sort of moments um, when, you know, the rest of the world thought one thing, but Russia, like the Russian government, had a different, had its own opinion and proved to be right. And one of them is globalism. You know, when everyone was talking about globalism as being like the ideal, no borders, la la la. Like if you're thinking about nation states and sovereignty of nations, you're like way in the past. Like we're, that's over. This is the 21st century. And then he's like, but look at the world now, bitches. Like <laughs> Brexit, Trump, anti-immigration in Europe. And we knew that was the case. And we were talking about how important sovereignty was. And that's where he like winks to himself. Sovereignty. Okay. <laughs> an internal wink <laughs> yeah uh we were talking about that so he's like talking about the mid-2000s i guess so and then he's like there's another time when like everyone was talking about the internet as like an untouchable space of equality and freedom and then he said this is so weird he was like and russia was asking the questions of who would be the flies and who would be the spiders in the internet i don't know, I don't know what he's referring to but i feel like he's he's making like a joke about it who are the winners and losers? Who are the big boys going to be? And but, um, what? But he's also like making a pun. <laughs> Wait, I don't get it. Oh, the, the web. web. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And that's wow, brilliant. I didn't even see that. Okay. And <laughs> brilliant um, is a little bit of a stretch. But it's obviously, a, yeah, it's obviously a play on words. And he's like, and now we have like you know big corporations like like Facebook being charged with letting people be influenced and testifying before Congress and like all sorts of new types of crimes that are only exist in like the cyber world, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, and we know what the shit show is that the internet, the shit show that the internet is. Um, and the third thing he points to is like when everyone was like, you know, thought U.S. hegemony, the hegemony of hegemony, hegemony, the hegemony of hegemonies, hegemony. Oh my God. Hegemony of hegemonies sounds like hernia okay. was reaching like a kind of peak and the and America's domination of the world, the dream of world domination was like nearing uh, and, you know, all the others were silent. Putin gave his Munich speech. He refers to the Munich speech, which called the U.S. out on its use of force internationally and like its ambitions for world domination. And he's like, at the time, the speech seemed like dissident, but today everything in it is taken for granted. Everyone is dis dissatisfied with America, including the Americans themselves. So yeah, so this is the this is to me that was like the breakdown of 
like sovereign democracy, but more on an ideological level, how like sovereign uh, meaning making was working, according to him, over the past 10, 20 years, how Russia was always sort of this like, I don't want to call it voice of reason, but kind of like, yeah, like, he positions predictor. Russia as this voice of what? Like predict, like they're they're like Russia's really good at observing and predicting reality in a way that other places aren't, or something. Yeah, and in sometimes it, like it can sound cynical. You know, right. people always call us cynical, but yeah. then we're right. Yeah. <laughs> and and like, but look at it's Facebook. It should <laughs> look at Facebook. Look at you know Trump and Brexit. This is the last part, which okay. is that th- this is actually a really important part. I just keep referencing it, but then I set it up which is the deep state part. So the deep state is like the Turkish, according to him. Yeah, the Turkish is Darren Devlet. Do you know what, you understand what that means? Deep like state? Like everyone talks about it now? Yeah. Yeah. This is where it starts to get a little bit batshit because he's like, okay, there's a deep state. This deep state doesn't exist in Russia. It does not exist. Like everything we do is not divided into deep and surface, but it's one thing fully. So you, it's all like visible. And he says that the Russian system, therefore, looks more honest. Though he's like, though honest doesn't always mean better. You can see all the fucked up shit that's going on. Versus America has, like, the shiny veneer of democracy. But in reality, like, really terrible things are happening. Right. And, like, this feel, this, or, like, what he refers to as, like, yeah, like, people have to have, or they're comforted by their sense of, you know, we've, I mean, people have talked about this before, obviously, but, like, sense of, of choice and freedom. And that's like what kind of opiate of the masses Sedates. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Well, it's about then, managing like, neuroses on a mass scale. Right. And then so that Russia doesn't have this. Russia has a more, it's not about being simple, but more like holistic, holistic government. <laughs> um, and that part of that, like the way that's manifested is in the demonstration of military and police power which Russia doesn't hide because Russia was never ruled by merchants, plot twist, um, except for a few months in 1917 (laughs) and a few years in the 1990s, who, like liberals, tend to to reject the concept of police. It's like, like, those kinds of sentences, I was just like, what? Like, okay, all right, I guess. So, okay, so... So this is the setup for like, you know, okay, we don't have a, we don't have a deep state. And then instead of, it's really funny because there's no like transition from talking about the deep state that, you know, might exist in Turkey or in the U.S. to saying, quote, there is no deep state in Russia. Everything is visible on display, but there is a deep people. Yeah, I I came across that too. And that's where, um, this is like the last, last section of the article, so I'm going to send here. This guy's retarded. <laughs> Which is basically, uh, you know, when I was reading like, yeah, different discussions about it and stuff, like people referencing it after he wrote this, it was just like, okay, well, it's just like, this is a really sort of lame thing to do because he's basically doing like, I mean, he's basically using the kind of like the mysterious Russian soul concept as interpreted by some other political theorists and regurgitated and et cetera and changed. And now it's like, now it's a little bit different. It's called the deep people, but it's, <laughs> it's the concept that, um, that the, the Russian people, the people, okay. So it's not the elite, but like Narod, which is like the real, the salt of the, the real people. Yeah. 
which by the way have been called various things he says throughout history they've been they've been peasants they've been the proletariat they've been partyless they've been hipsters okay they've been bureaucrats they've been god-fearing and they've been godless that people you know this he 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 also references how that's like it's like impossible to define and da 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 and then people try to like try to deny it exists but then it comes back but that they that the reason they have this like deep aspect or quality is that the people live like a double life kind of they have like their superficial political selves and then they have their inner world or something versus <laughs> americans that are just like shallow political vessels for whatever the i don't know cause it, of the it day was, is it's still, like still it's kind of hard to understand because like it's like Russians are good at understanding their system is no bueno. So they're just going to like compartmentalize that aspect of themselves. Or like, yeah, he's like, you know, the elite, the elite is the one, the elite group of people uh, in Russia is, you know, they're the ones who organize like these big sort of shows of power, like party meetings, wars, elections. These are all the shows, um, economic experiments and that the people they might participate in these activities in some way, but they do so in like a detached way, in a removed way, because deep inside, they're not participating. They are living on their like real life level. I, I don't know <laughs> what he means. And it's hard to describe because like he doesn't actually spend that much time defining it. He then goes into its role kind of and how other people try to interact and specifically Putin's government interacts with the deep people. So like... <laughs> And also the, the the deep people thing really reminds me of, you know, what a lot of um, writers, like opposition writers during the Soviet Union, you know, anti-Soviet people talked about as having like, and probably not anti-Soviet, I mean, just as having like a the double think concept of having yeah. two lives. And it was just funny to have him talking about that in this sort of like positive way of like, this is the real, this is like a new version of the Russian soul or something. I don't know. Um, so in terms of how Putin's government interacts with this, Putin's government, as you, uh, will probably not be surprised to know, is the first government that listens to the deep people uh, and way down there yeah, and Hello. is actually, and is able to, to hear and understand and to act accordingly and therefore is not subject to the destructive, like countercurrents of history so it will be durable, et cetera. This is, again, the concept right, of the state will live on. Before, like, Stalin was also causing people to have, like, double thing situation, but he wasn't also listening to the deep people. Not listening enough. Yeah. yeah. Th then we get to this last little, like, I don't know, cherry on top, basically, which is that, okay, there's deep people, Putin's government listens to them, but the other thing you need to understand about Russian society is that the contemporary model of Russian government starts with trust, and he uses the word trust and is held in trust. And this is like being interpreted as like some kind of, again, what, what you had referenced before, this concept that it can't be questioned. It's like faith-based. Specifically, society trusts only the first person. And in Russian, the first person means, not only does it mean like I, like grammatical first person, it means like the head of the government. Okay. So, surprise. So like this is him introducing this concept, which is like, been around forever i mean people always like regurgitate this in various ways that russians need to have a strong leader, leader. Yeah. yeah not just strong i mean <laughs> that a leader who is singular 
But all countries have that. No, no, no. That like, this is like where where he's kind of introducing the concept that like maybe we don't need or our people don't need anything like oh distributed government like a nothing a like all they need parts. is Putin. <laughs> Well, because he's like, he even says, quote, the various branches of government converge in the personality of the leader. Con- they're considered not valuable in themselves, the branches, but only to the extent that they provide a link with him. And that the leader, the first person, has to be in contact with the people. So he's introducing the concept that, like, like justification. all those branches could not... Justification, exactly. He's introducing yeah. the concept that, like, you know, all of those other apparatuses that are s- sort of, like, check and check and balance, whatever, the power of one leader um, actually serve that leader or should serve that leader and, like, funnel into him. It's funny that he used the word personality, too, because it's, like, the same word that was used by Khrushchev when he did his big secret speech about, like, the cult of personality of Stalin, where he... Where he um, denounced. Denounced, yeah, denounced, like, denounced he's like, Stalin. He's like, I've seen the error of my ways. <laughs> it's been a couple of days. I see that all that was wrong now. Oh, yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> it's been a couple of days. But, I've, yeah, I've so given it some thought, and I regret it a little bit. Um, <laughs> that was fucked. Wait, so the word person, that was totally fucked up. Wait, so the personality thing, is there a different word when you are just like referring to somebody's personality? Yeah, you can say like character. Like casually, like if I was like, oh, I like Lily's personality, I wouldn't use that word. Not really. Okay. I think you would say character more like character. And this is leechness. It's like person, personhood or something. Okay. He ends it again with this sort of like call for a separate russia or to like leave russia the fuck alone on the political arena and he says this new government is going to have a quote long and glorious history it will not break it will do its own thing it will be involved and be will be like you know successful in the top league of the geopolitical struggle and sooner or later all those who demand that russia change its behavior will have to accept this after all it only seems that they have a choice that's the end all right so what was the like general reaction to this in the russia it got referenced uh by you know other like influential people like like our favorite stalin gulag and telegram did a little a very very short post that was just like i don't understand why vladislav Surkov wrote such a long article about the inevitability of putinism in the coming century when he could have just like shortened it into a few words fuck you all no one will be saved <laughs> and like also the lead some celebrity figures commented on it, like the lead singer of leningrad called it an out called Sarkov an outstanding science fiction writer and said like that like referred to the article as a as a piece of fiction peskov so you know in the official response he he was kind of like he was like, there's a lot to think about in this article. And he's like, <laughs> um, you, like, if you ask, are there supporters of this point of view in the government? He's like, of course there are. But there are many who would argue. And there, there are many points in the article that are up for discussion and argument. But he's like, I think it's not up for discussion that the article is very inter- interesting to a lot of people. And very... <laughs> um, like has a lot of 
juicy content and then he called the piece deep which is funny Ugh. he's like in very deep he's like oh my god Come on. oh he also said that the article would be included in the digest uh the media digest given to putin's <laughs> um because putin had no idea and then like referral <laughs> wait aren't they they're just radio free right yeah you can say radio free they published a little like discussion between some political scientists and one of them pointed out that when they when they were talking about like who okay who is this for is this for putin basically just to like flatter his ego or something because it it really is ridiculous this like comparison of putin to the other leaders in russian history and stuff um and one of them one of the guys is like no but i think it's for it's more for like putin supporters who want to feel justified in the system as it is and it definitely is like a it's like it says all these things that oppositionists would say right like that democracy doesn't actually exist or in russia or yeah there's too much power concentrated in one person but then it it gives this whole other reasoning for it and this like justification for it yeah didn't didn't your friend like uh say something along the lines of it's just his way of maintaining relevancy. Like he's kind of slipped from relevancy a little bit within the government and the, his inclusion on the foreign policy list. He's like, well, I, I better put some products out there. Yeah, like it, it did kind of, uh, I don't even know how other people interpreted it, but like it kind of feels like, yeah, like he wrote a little manifesto and again, to sort of, so that, like, we and others will talk about him as this author of important ideas and, like, movements and predictor of things. This is where it comes also to, like, the choice of where it was published, which I thought was so weird. Like, why wasn't it published in, like, Toss or something? Like, I just don't get it. Yeah. I, I really don't understand that. I mean, I've never heard of that publication before. Maybe I'm this is showing my ignorance, but I never heard of it. I never heard of the guy who owns it. Whatever. Nothing's in my way. Staying in my lane. Fast car, race car games. Just car in my name. Dropped off up the rain. That is the end of the episode. Subscribe to us on whatever app you listen to podcasts and um follow us on twitter and telegram at she's in russia sign up for our monthly image-based newsletter at she's in russia.com buy russian clothes from us at depop d-e-p-o-p dot com slash fortichka and support us on patreon at patreon.com slash she's in russia and we will see you next week ready and my drill will see you next week okay Bye. Okay, I'll stop. Okay.